welcome to our career conversations. I am the host. I'm Dr. Cesar Livar. Feel free to call me Jay. And uh, before I introduce our wonderful and amazing panelists, I um, I wanted to to just give a little background about how all of this got started. And so I am um, I'm an owner of a consulting company, Creo Consultants. Uh, I'm also the podcast host. I've got the Way to College podcast and a part-time faculty member at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, although this is uh, not part of my job. Um, so I have to give that statement. But I think the, these conversations and this, um, what we're going to do today is has been informed by the work that I've done, and I know certainly by the work that my panelists have done. And so for 20 years, I worked with first-year students as they transitioned to the university. My last four years in a full-time capacity at the university, I oversaw our first-year experience course. And I think um, what inspired me and, and has certainly inspired a lot of my work is helping students navigate that transition, not only to the university, but even after, as they leave and getting them ready for, for work and for real life. And so today we have an amazing panel. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them introduce themselves because they, they do so much and and I don't know that I would do them justice. So, Eva, would you mind going first? Sure. Um, uh, Dr. Eva Mejia as well, but Eva's good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have done a bunch of different things and it's a little hard to sometimes describe my uh, my path, which I think is why I'm here. <laughs> Um, but really what I've done is um, in, in many ways, mostly through education, look for ways to uh, open up doors or do whole system redesigns such that education and the career pathway isn't one that leaves people out and instead helps us all figure out um, what we want to do. I deeply believe that like we all have something to contribute and the world needs it. And so that's really what has driven me the whole way. I didn't know that. I, I stressed a lot in my twenties, worried, like, like I couldn't answer the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? And I thought that was a bad thing. Um, so I guess I sort of do this in the hope that like somebody out there has less stress about that. If you can't answer the question, where do you want to be in five to 10 years? Or like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had a friend that recently said, that's just the wrong question. Why are we even asking, what do you want to be? Like she, she just fundamentally was the wrong question. So as far as to give you more concrete and titles and things. So I've worked um, as a social worker, done direct service with families and, and parents. And I've also done a lot of coaching of teams, leadership teams um, at, in K-12 team at schools and community colleges and colleges, um, because it turns out the adults do want to improve the education system. And now I'm an executive director in the learning practice at IDEO, which is a design firm. Again, always looking to redesign things so that um, school is less boring is what I tell young people and also opens up more opportunities. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Christian, how about you? Um, Jay, thanks for having us on. Uh, my name is Chris Simamora. My pronouns are he, him. I am a learning experience designer, um, a father, a writer, an educator. I've worn, like Eva, many hats in my career, which has been quite zigzagging. I was also a, a first-generation student. I am the son of two immigrant parents, one from Puerto Rico and one from Indonesia, who met in New York City, in Brooklyn, waiting to ride the cyclone, actually. Um, 
And um, I grew up in pre-hipster, pre-gentrification Brooklyn. So those are my roots. And um, most recently, I was a lecturer and fellow with the Life Design Lab at Stanford. I just finished up a five-year tenure there and I'm thinking about what's next. So like many of the people who will encounter this conversation, I'm actually sitting where many of you are in a space of uncertainty, thinking about what might be next for me. Awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. And and Chris, I imagine there's a, a an amazing story about how your parents met waiting in line for that cycle. <laughs> um, there certainly okay. is. So where, where do we want to start? I've got a list of questions. We can go through the questions or if maybe you all are, are so inclined, there's a particular point that you'd like to start with. How do we want to proceed? I'm open to questions. They're, yeah. they're alive and ready. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially if there's any, if you have live questions or questions that folks have sent you before. Also, so there were pre sort of podcast we did. So I think you heard plenty of what we think randomly on our own. So please <laughs> keep us honest. What, what like made no sense or what do you want us to talk about less or more? <laughs> well, it that was all good. That was gold. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It, it, they made for great clips, certainly, but I think there was a lot there, a lot of information, but okay, let's, we can go ahead. I have a list of questions that folks sent me. Um, and so first question, how do I find a job? <laughs> that's kind of, that's the big one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'll tell a story first and just to, to validate. So yeah, I graduated from Stanford and I can't believe I didn't say it, but yeah, I grew up in Tijuana and then San Diego. I always have to rep where I'm from. Um, and yeah, and then you graduate, right? And like you did all the things. I mean, it's freaking Stanford. It, one would assume that it's like all clear and there's a job with your diploma or something. And I was like, what do I do now and where? And this is, you know, different lifetime ago. Internet was in a different state and everything. Um, so I totally get that, that it's like, yeah, jobs are supposed to be everywhere. But like, seriously, where? And there was there. It's like what the options felt like at the time was like, seriously, like the unemployment office or like of random websites at the time, like whatever, you know, was around, which was like monster. I don't know what, I'm not trying to give anybody, but it was like, whatever the job sites were. And then there was one that was like, and then there was like school districts and it was really like no one. And what it came down to was like talking to people, which I think is the, the, is a tried and true, but also who, you know, has a lot to like when you're first gen or when you're not from this country, like, yeah, I have a lot of people that love me and a lot of people that wanted to support me, but they didn't know my career. They didn't know my area. So I guess that mostly adds to the problem, doesn't quite give you a solution, but at least like, I just, it's, I guess the first thing is like, it is a lot hard. Like that question is a lot harder than we assume it is, um, is what I wanted to validate. Thank you. I agree with that. And, you know, you mentioned something, Eva, that I think, has been very true of my experience, which is talking to people is a really um, important uh, strategy. Most of the jobs, and I'm, this is true, all of them except two, and I've had many in many different fields, came because either someone referred me or sent me the job description. It wasn't even on my radar 
And the opportunity arrived on my doorstep because someone in my network, not even someone who knows me well, thought I should look at it. And um, one of the things that might be coming up for listeners is like, well, hey, I don't have a big network. And the truth is I didn't either. And one thing I failed to realize while I was at NYU, which is where I graduated from all the way back in 2000, pre-Gmail, is that um, just by being at NYU, every single NYU alumni was now a part of my network. And had I been looking at the question through that lens, I would have been, oh my God, well, I'm just going to reach out to a bunch of people. Um, uh, And I didn't do that. More recently in my life, I've learned to do that more, more like intentionally and skillfully. And just recently, as I mentioned, I've been looking for what's next. I've probably had 30 info interviews, not info interviews, like on the, on the low key trying to like apply, literally just meeting people and asking them, what do you do? How is it like? What do you love? What don't you like? Is I'm trying to understand different spaces. So can you, can you just, uh, what is an info interview? How is it different than low key? Like, cause all these things, I didn't know what they were. And I was just like, I'm not going to email some yeah. person I don't know. And now being on the other side of it, I get some emails that I'll be honest. Some of them I'm like, are you just sending like, like some, uh, let's put it this way. Some make me lean in and some do not. Mm-hmm. And some I can tell, and some I'm like, I can tell that you don't know this like kind of hidden curriculum or these like norms. So I like have told people, it's like, that's not how you email or this is the, but like, why would we know? Right. Like we, we, we had to learn them the hard way. So like, let's just name them. And it's like, what do you mean about an informal interview what is the sort of right way to email somebody that you don't know or message somebody or even LinkedIn? And what's the like, not so right way. Mm-hmm. Knowing that of course uh, there's variations. Yeah. I would say in a sentence or two, an info interview is when you're trying to get someone's story because that person is living a future. is living a current present that you are curious about whether you want it to be your future or not. Quick example, you have no real connects at, at Meta, but you're like, what does product management look like at Meta? Mm-hmm. Having a conversation with an actual product manager will tell you a lot more than any job description, any glass door sort of review, like just talk to people and get their story. Um, I probably did not do that in my early 20s. That's how I do them now. And I would say, you know, if you can, getting a referral is probably a really important way to get an info interview because everyone's busy. And so if Jay's like referred by Jay, um, I'm like, oh, I'm going to open up that email versus uh, an email where I don't know what the context is. However, I have sent cold emails and LinkedIn messages and have gotten responses. And I think the key there is specificity. Why do you want to talk to that person in this moment? How much time do you think you'll need? Don't ask for more than 25 to 30 minutes. Offer to do it in person if you can. And what exactly it is you're hoping to learn from that conversation. That always makes me, when I've gotten those emails, I'm like, oh, okay, this person is, is clear on what they want out of this engagement. Yeah, it's been the same for me where people are like, or worse yet, when they say they want to learn about something that is not really what I do, I'm like, I'm not the right person. Um, or when it's just like, hey, we're both Stanford alumni. Can we talk? It's it's too general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, or I think sometimes people do this and it comes from well-meaning, but they're like, can I have a 10-minute conversation or a five-minute conversation? And then the question doesn't match the length of time. Uh, it almost puts me on the like, 
you want me to tell you everything about education technology or about equity in five minutes? Like, no, that's not a meeting I want to take. Um, so I think also that it's like right-sizing the question that it's like, it actually, this is actually the person, even if honestly, you can get the question wrong, but that's helpful. Cause it's like, you, you think I can tell you about that. And if I'm not the right person, then I'll tell you. But, and then also people, it's always good to always leave the question or like, or else who do you suggest I should talk to? And that's yes. often what people end conversations with. They'll say like, you know, now that like we talked about this, is there anybody that you think I should talk to? Because networks, you know, you might not have the network and maybe you start with one person, but that person knows other people. And it also gets you closer. It's sort of like playing the game of hot and cold, right? Where it's like, that one was a cold, that's a dead end, but that's warm. Okay. It's getting warmer. And that person sort of like tells you the next person you should talk to and the next person. And eventually you like get to the thing. Um, and then the other thing is none of these things, like don't take them personal. Like sometimes people have stuff going on in their lives that they're not going to respond. Sometimes some people are not very nice. That's part of the hot and cold. And like, don't take any of it personal. Like it's just some people having good days, bad days. Um, it is, it is a numbers. And I used to tell my, my younger brother, it's like, you only need one job actually. So it's not, you know, sometimes we have this idea. It's like, Oh, you know, and there's still the headlines like so-and-so got accepted by like 10 different things or got like, you know, so-and-so only needs one job. Like we really only need one. So, you know, don't let your ego get into this like response rate or number of likes of number of Mm -hmm. like, you just need one job. Well, some of you all need many jobs or want many jobs, but that's, that's just Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. So I'm going to try and condense, at least summarize what what we've heard, right? Uh, A couple of things that stood out to me, Um, Christian, Chris, you talked about uh, utilizing your network, right? So if, if if you're just graduating, recognizing that now all of a sudden you are a part of this extensive network, and 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 absolutely, I know. Um, of course, you graduate from Stanford. You you know you recognize okay that there is a network involved, and so you know I I've utilized that particularly with the podcast, but I know you know it's a great way to for leads and for potential job opportunities. Uh, Eva, thank you for reminding us, right, about the terms that we throw around, I think, a lot. Um, and that for us, it's taken us time to kind of develop that vocabulary. And so helping helping maybe our listeners and our viewers understand what do these terms mean? Um, Chris, I love the, the in, you know, the informal interview. I know I, I encourage my students and will even set some up with my students just as they think about like, you know, I'm, I'm working on this pathway. I don't know that I want to do this right. I'm a first generation student and I don't know anything about it, but it sounds good. And I hear they make a lot of good, a lot of money. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll often do that with students and try to connect them with folks, make an introductory email and, and, and do that. Um, so thank you all. I think that that was really helpful. Now, Speaking to the interview, how do what advice would you give? Because here's the the question is, how do I prepare for a job interview? So Mm -hmm. let's say the formal interview. Mm -hmm. Who wants to take that? You want to go first and I'll go second? Sure. Um, Here's how I have prepared. I'm going to couch it that way, because um, 
what may work for me, maybe may not work for you. I don't know. But basically, I think very concretely about, you know, it's kind of like you're writing a story. Like, who is the audience here? Because you are going to be telling a story. And if you just come with facts and figures, that's not going to work. The story, I think, is really what's compelling. So you want to have a real conversation, but you want to be equipped with some anecdotes that highlight either the things that you have done that you are proud of, the things that you have learned, even if those learnings are from setbacks or failures, and um, uh, particular concrete skills or capacities that you can offer a particular team. And some of that, um, much of that will come from the job description that you are applying for. You can skim it. You can ask yourself, what is it that I think they want from somebody like me? or from anyone who wants the role. And then if there are clarifying questions about jargon, I just looked at one yesterday, I won't name the company, that was like, somebody must be versed in progressive thought leadership and methodology. I was like, in 45 years, I've never heard that. So I'm gonna Google it. (laughs) And I did, nothing, nothing came back. My wife has been working in tech for 12 years. I was like, honey, what is progressive thought leadership methodology? She was like, never heard of it. So now I know either that it is internal language that I need to ask clarification about or it's filler, but I can always test now. I don't assume. And then once I've done my my homework on that front, I, I try to match what I've done with what they're asking for without feeling the need to make up things because you don't have to be the perfect candidate to get work. Um, so, you know, I, I forget the friends episode where Joey's like, yeah, I speak, was it French? And he's like, he didn't speak French at all, at all. Yeah. Right. But we often do that because we're like, we want to be the best candidate that will deteriorate trust in an interview process. So just be who you are and, um, just be prepared and equipped with those anecdotes so you can tell a story. Thank you. Of course, I'm on mute. Someone has to do it on every call. Um, I was saying, I'm so glad that you said that last point because it's it's a hard one. Like we all want to look our best and it's real. Like we got bills to pay. Um, and so you want those jobs. And especially if you've had like, you know, the longer time it goes on, the more you're just like, I, I need a job, right? And so that can put you in a position where you're like, I will, I will make myself fit the thing. And to some extent you are, but there, if you overdo it, you're exactly right. You will break trust and people will say like, um, I mean, and the thing is, it's easy for people that are specialists and the thing you're applying for to call and smell that it's not true. Right. So if you were like, yes, progressive methodology, I've been, you know, I speak about that all the time. Turns out it is really a thing. And these people really, they will know it. Then they're going to be able to tell that you're not. So then they're going to start to doubt, well, what else in his resume is not real? And can I really trust this guy? And so I really appreciate you saying that. And I think the other part of it is like, you know, the classic, like we look at every bullet point and we're like, oh, I don't have these two or whatever. The reality is most of us that are putting out job descriptors, we, we want unicorns and you, it's like a, it's, it's like you want it all, but the reality is nobody has it all. Like we even joke about that when we're like putting out, it's like, did we build a unicorn job description? And we still kind of do. And then the HR person's usually like, you know, people like that don't exist. And we're like, yeah, but can you like put it out to see how good we can get it? 
Um, so know that like nobody's coming. It's not like you're competing against, and I don't know, at least in my head, I always figured it's like, oh, there's 10 things. I only have five. I'm freaking great at the five. I would never say that to myself, but it's like, oh, surely they're going to get other people that get the 10. And maybe they are, but like most of the time we don't get like people that are, there are no perfect people out there. So you're not competing against perfect people. You're just competing against your best self and also fit. Right. And so in some ways, if you, you have to be careful with how much you shape yourself to be the thing, because basically how you put what, what persona you put out in the job description is the persona they're going to expect later. So if you stretch so much that you say you speak French when you don't, then they're going to expect you to speak French and you don't want that. Um, and yes, there are ways in which we all stretch and code switch and there's cultures of power and all of that. Um, but make sure that you're not stretching. So like, if it's a place that's like, let's just say like, it's a place that's like super racist and doesn't want um, like immigrants. I probably can't keep up a face on that. So I wouldn't during the job description, like I wouldn't be okay. You know, you have to know what your own limits are. Um, but okay. I was getting too far into that, but um, one thing, I guess there's kind of two things I wanted to say about the preparing for the job interview is the industry really matters. Um, my brother works in tech and I've always worked in social sciences, education, all that. And in tech, he tells, I mean, the world is just very different. And he's like, stories, like, no, they want to know. They, it's like a coding challenge. So how you would prepare for a coding challenge as an interview is very different than how you would prepare for like a conversation with a, a screener person that's going to be like an HR, like 15 minute, just need to know that you're a real human and that you are what you say on paper versus the person that might meet my future uh boss. So I think thinking about the industry and then you can do those informational interviews with peers or other people so that you understand what the processes are in that industry. Um, we did a project at IDEO with, uh, with the engineering school and engineering, looking for jobs in engineering, it is its own culture, its own thing. I probably couldn't get, well, other than I don't know anything about engineering, um, I couldn't get a job. I wouldn't know how to get a job. I wouldn't know where, I wouldn't know how to behave in the interviews because that's an industry that I don't know. And in that project, people were, especially first generation students, were talking to each other a lot and said, hey, I interviewed with this company. This is what they want. This is how you do it. Or there's this recruiter at this company or like recruiters. That's even a thing. Like in some firms and some fields, there are recruiters and you have to talk to recruiters first. In other places, you have to like really get to know the screening process and HR. So find out from your industry, what are the norms? What are the procedures? And peers can be better at naming that sometimes than, you know, they'll give you, it's kind of like an older brother, older sister, they'll like tell you the truth. And then the, the type of interview, whether it's an HR person, which is, you know, what, who you, who are you meeting with? And it's totally okay to ask people. That's another thing I didn't know before that, like, you can't ask who's interviewing me, what's the structure. Sometimes people don't tell you that. And you are allowed to say it more and more, the more senior you get, people will sort of demand. They're like, so it's okay to ask, you know, who am I meeting with to look them up ahead of time to, you know, is there anything I should prepare? Like if people want you to bring something, um, you are allowed to ask those things, which I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you could. I was just like, I think you're supposed to just show up and be smart and answer every question with the right answer and be perfect. And that's not really what it is. 
And Jay, if it's okay for me to quickly build on something here. Yeah. Um, Eva, I love how you mentioned like how industry matters and how there are different norms. Um, I want to add to that, uh, that, and I wish I would have known this when I was thinking about work early on, is a job is a job, but it feels really different depending on the culture of the place where you're working. And so um, it might be helpful to go in with some questions to ask about what is it like to work here? And um, for whatever reason, I can't think of the questions that I usually ask, but I try to get a sense of what a person's day-to-day is, what they love, what they don't like, as opposed to asking like, uh, what's the culture like? Or uh, what are the challenges? Trying to get as concrete as possible. But if you know that you're the person who wants to leave the office at five and everyone's working till eight, that's really good data. If what you want is a a place where you're going to learn a ton, but you get from peers that actually what they work on is constrained to their specific role. There aren't many opportunities to great data. And if people are being abusive and mean to each other, if you can, if your bank account allows you to walk away from that kind of place, please do. It's your health. It's not worth it. So culture, if you can look for that, get some data, that would be helpful too. I think the kind of questions you ask for that is, are the story questions to sort of quote Chris back to Chris. (laughs) I've heard you say this before, right? You ask the questions that are going to get a story. So you might ask somebody about like, what's what's the project that's made you the most proud um, in your time here? Or tell me about uh, a team that you've been on and how does that work? And so it's the ones that are going to tell you story because no one's going to, first off, if if it truly is like an abusive place, they're not going to say like, don't like leave. It's an abusive place. Don't work here. Like people aren't going to come out that way. You, but there are little signs that you're like, that, you know, you can see how people talk to each other or, or the things that they don't say where they're like, Oh, well, you know, we really had to like stay all night because we knew the president was going to be there the next day. And like, you know, when you can sense fear, you're like, Oh, they, they, that team seemed to be really afraid of the client or the president or whoever, like, so it's in the stories that you're going to, hear a little bit more of of those things no one's going to say oh we all leave at five o'clock but they can tell you things about you know how how they balance their you can ask them like how do you balance your work you know your your life outside of work and how does this job um allow for that or where you know where are the tensions where is it hard where is it easy um because they won't say that specifically but you will get some data okay Thank you. That was a lot. <laughs> so the, the question for, for our, our listeners out there, just to kind of summarize, right? How do I prepare for a job interview? And so Chris, you said, uh, come ready with some anecdotes, right? Come ready to, to, to share your story. Um, but also, I think both of you, you do your homework, right? Know about the position, know what it is that you're applying for. Um, and, and, you know, a couple of other things that stood out, right? Uh, be truthful, right? Don't don't say anything or advertise yourself as something that you're not. It's something that can deteriorate trust, right? Um, because then they're going to expect that, right? Whatever it is that you're advertising about yourself, they might they're going to expect that, and they may lean into you on that. Um, and then um, I think gathering as much data as you can to make an informed decision about the workplace beyond maybe some sort of broad, right? The uh, what's your day like, right? 
talking, asking for specific stories and examples in order to get a better understanding of the work and how the workplace functions, how others in, in you know uh, interact with one another, and is this a place that I want to work or is this a toxic environment? Um, did I miss anything? Was there anything else? I think the getting to know the industry and the audience. Mm, yes. So yes. like trying to find that out. Uh, yeah. Part of the preparing is to get to know what, you know, find out more about the industry and also that specific interview, what it might be like. And exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have, we, we've got about 20 minutes and I want to, I've, I've, the list is actually kind of long. I right. don't want to get through everything. Right. So I'm going to try to find us uh, something. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. This is, I'm going to stray from the list a little bit. What do you wish you knew, right? When you were going out looking for your first job, what kind of info, what do you, you know, reflecting back, I wish I'd known this as I was preparing for, for my first job, my first job interview. Chris is really thinking about this one. <laughs> I know your facials gave it away. I want to know whatever it is you're thinking. You know what it is? My first job was I taught fifth grade in the South Bronx, but it was through Teach for America. So it was a little bit different because I was always already being presented in the context of these are core members and I was the district was recruiting us. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of my first job interview where I was kind of like flying solo. So Eva, if you have something front of mind, please feel free. The first thing that comes to mind for me is I do wish somebody had, I mean, I kind of knew, but I do wish somebody had like kind of pulled me aside and been like, listen, this is a hidden curriculum. This is his own thing. This is his own culture. And it doesn't match where you come from, or there's no reason why you would know it. And that's okay. And you have to learn that. Um, that would have made me be able to take it on as like its own job. Sometimes there's a like job searching is a job like, and then job searching as a first generation or as an immigrant is like, uh, its own kind of immigration. It's a, it's a, it's a part of immigration. And so I would have known that there's nothing wrong with me, that this is a thing. And this is like its own job. And I think I just would have like doubted my there would have been a like a self-doubt and an extra burden on me that I wouldn't have if I just knew like, you know, if I'm, I'm I'm going to another country, I know that they speak another language and that either I have to learn the language or that I have to like figure out how to communicate with people that there isn't this like, oh, my God, I can't believe or like the language that you speak is wrong. Right. You just know that different. And it, there is that piece of it. But except in the U.S. and in you know the situation. Unfortunately, here, there is this like, you know, professionalism, like being professional as the gets like it puts down other cultures or other ways of being um, like there's nothing better or right about wearing a collar shirt or tucking your pants one way or another. And yet we call something and somebody can just tell you, you know what, the expectations here are that you wear this type of shirt. And I don't know, that got decided somewhere and we put a lot of meaning behind it. And if somebody could just tell you that, you'd be like, cool. All right. Well, do I want to wear 
my pants that way or that way? Do I want to assimilate or not? But there isn't this whole coded deep, like, oh my God, I can't believe that person's not professional. They don't write a thank you email. Or, oh my God, I can't believe that person doesn't tuck their pants this way or that way. They must be like from the hood or whatever. Like there's so much judgment that gets put on with what is professionalism that I wish I had somebody to be like, listen, this is the game. (laughs) And here's like how the game is played. And it's okay if it's hard and it's okay if you don't know it. Like, it's not great. Some things suck about it. Some things that here's where the opportunity is, but that's just its own thing in its own game, which is, I guess why I like my whole life, I've been like calling sort of BS on it and being like, here's the thing. Or, you know, even I did it with like job with my, um, interviews like when I would when I, I mean uh, applications college applications I would do um panels and I was like here's what I've learned about it you know it's it's not it's not a it's, it's not a secret society thing or at least I hope it's not and I try to share it yeah that's a hard strong plus one I have a friend who also graduated at NYU he went into banking for a couple of years and he was in London, he showed up at a meeting with brown shoes. I believe it was brown shoes. And apparently it's like a really big faux pas to show up without black shoes if you're a banker in that industry. So, I mean, all of these implicit norms come down to even like that kind of a small detail. Um, I remember his boss being upset at him. Like it was a thing. Um, So everything you're saying is absolutely right. So maybe I'll add an additional idea, which is, you know, I used to think of um, getting work as like a team out there needs something and I need a paycheck. So I need to sell myself as hard as possible to get that job um, so that I can bring home this paycheck. And now I wish I had thought about my work in a broader scope, like a career or like a portfolio approach. Like, what is it that I'm leaving college with, university with, having learned? What am I curious to learn next? Why do I think I want to learn that? And as I go and do my job interviews, I might ask, in addition to telling them what I can offer, what might I learn here? What are the opportunities for learning? And maybe name the things you're curious about. Maybe you've never managed a project end-to-end. And that's something that you want some experience in. Maybe you've never done sales and you're coming in as support for sales, but you want to actually do some sales. You have the opportunity to learn that. So it's not just what you can offer. What are you trying to learn? Because that's something no one can take away from you when you leave that job or that job, you know, lays you off or whatever. Um, So what are the skills you're building along the way? You might bring that to your interview as well. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And I, I think everything, everything that you all said is really important. Eva, thank you for, for just sort of calling that out. Um, I, I think recognizing sort of those, those expectations and those quote unquote norms, um, particularly in different fields, um, being aware of those. Uh, I will say that my first, when I started teaching, um, I was asked to come to the university. They said, bring such and such documents. And I showed up in jeans and a Hawaiian shirt. And and I, because I wasn't expecting to get interviewed and all of a sudden they said, oh, we need you to come into this room so you can sit down with the associate dean and the chair. OK, I, um, and thankfully, you know, I, I made a, a, a good impression, I think, that I got the job. But I thought, oh, my God, if like 
I, I just, you know, I wish somebody had told me, I wish somebody had coached me. I wish I'd known there were a lot of things I would have done different. Um, and then I think Chris, to your point, um, you just asking those questions, right? Also, what am I going to learn? What can I take away from this experience or from this position? But I think just in general, I, I feel like before transitioning away from the university, I sat in a lot of hiring committees for, for staff, for auxiliary staff, for faculty. And, uh, the number of applicants that didn't ask questions that kind of just, you know, they went through the interview process. And then when we'd ask, do you have any questions for us? There were more applicants that didn't have any questions. And I know with the committee amongst ourselves, we would, that we didn't like that. We wanted them to ask us questions. Um, so I think just asking questions, but then asking really good, thoughtful questions, I think is, is really important. So thank you all. Um, let's see. Do you all want to add anything else to that before we move on? A trick question. You're trying to move through questions faster. I'm trying I, to. Be- <laughs> there are way we have way too many questions to get through. I'm I'm trying to find the the really the really meaty ones. Although I feel like regardless of what I ask you, there's you all are going to add some meat to them. So, um, here's one that I that I hear a lot. Um, what can I do if I'm not getting a second interview mm. or if I'm not getting called back? So I've interviewed countless for countless jobs and I'm just not getting a call back. Um, and I consequently, I, I don't have a job yet. This is a hard one because most people won't do this. And there are places where like I've been an interviewer, and it sucks where you have feedback for somebody, but you can't actually give it because your company is like, whatever, you're not really supposed to. But I think, the, I mean, the, the thing you want, you want feedback. You need to know why that's not, it could be something as stupid as you keep wearing brown shoes and nobody's told you that it's a black shoe place. And that's really hard because how would you know? Like how, it's literally as silly as like, how would you know to look down at people's feet and see like, oh, suddenly, oh, we have my brown shoes. But there's stuff like that. There's there's cultures where like, oh, like a typo in the res in their resume, and people are like, that person isn't doesn't take this seriously, not attention to detail, and they just skip it. And if like nobody has told you that, then you just keep. It is the, to me that's equivalent and as kind of stupid as the brown shoes thing, and so there's that there's like people who take very seriously things like oh that person didn't write a thank you email like that you know that just like that disqualifies you so that's really like how can you get the data and if you can't get it from like i mean do ask people um i think sometimes recruiters or people that are more hr or some that it there is a little bit more coverage they will be able to tell you um maybe debriefing some of the interviews, not with that person, but like say somebody's trying to get into design and not, they didn't interview at ideal, but if they're like, Hey, I keep trying to get these jobs and I don't. And they talk to me about it. I actually did have somebody that referred somebody to me and he is sort of on the second wave. He's like, I'm not getting the second jobs. And we talked about it a little bit. And I guessed based on what he was saying and how he was presenting himself, I was like, here's some things that you might think about. Um, but it was easy because I wasn't interviewing him and I could be honest. So that's kind of, you're looking for somebody that will tell you if you have spinach in your teeth for real, 
or if there are hidden norms that no one's telling you. And sometimes it'll have, you'll have to get creative about who that person can be. That's exactly right. I had a friend go through this. He wasn't getting callbacks. I had introduced him to a mutual friend who was an investor at a number of these companies. And he asked him like, Hey, what's happening here? And he was like, you're being over eager and it's turning people off. And that was the feedback he needed to hear. Um, Cause he would keep following up two days after the interview. And uh, that was apparently rubbing people the wrong way, but you're right. Eva, in some places you cannot give that feedback or there is the norm of not giving that feedback. So finding the person who's proximate to the process that you can ask is a great, that's a great strategy, Eva. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I, I And I didn't realize that there were actually places where they wouldn't offer feedback or couldn't offer feedback. So thank you for that. I think that's important as well. Um, let's see. I think we this will probably be the last question <sighs> how do i manage work-life balance <laughs> oh man the perennial question <laughs> it's a question of the moment I, right? I, okay i'm gonna break with it so i will answer it with some caveats a little bit like chris said earlier this is what's worked for me um so the first big caveat is I don't have children. So that's, I think that's, it's a whole different ball game when you have children. Um, I have a very rich family life and I have children in my life, but they're not like, they don't depend on me to keep them alive, which is different. They don't come to my bed in the middle of the night when they're sick. They do get me sick if you can hear it, but, um, uh, but it's a different ball game. Um, and for me, what it's, the the work-life balance is actually the wrong question for me is what I realized because it puts them against each other. Um, whereas for me, I, I try to get them to align and sort of like help each other. So for example, I, my heart and my love is in San Diego, like in San Diego, Tijuana, I have to be there. So when my job takes me there, that's great. Um, I also love to travel so that that, that's a, and I find ways to extend my work travel. Like I'm going to go to uh, Paris for the first time in my life. And then I'm taking a vacation after that. And just like, thank you job. you got me to Paris for free. Um, so that to me is like not a tension. It's a way to align, right? Like I like to travel and my job pushes me to travel. Great. Like, how do I extend that? And so to the extent that you can finding jobs and back to what Chris said of like the life, like finding out those lifestyle decisions, because there are people who are in a time of their life where they don't want to travel. So you're going to have that rub harder than if you're like, no, I like to travel. I like to travel internationally. Let me look for the job that actually allows for that. Um, so trying to, I guess, start from the beginning, align your life and your, your, your family life, your work life, the things that matter to you and your job so that they're not always in fights and then there's a season for everything and you can't be great at everything all the time so i'm sure there are times when you know my family would tell you i haven't been as present or uh or my spouse or there are times when you know my job wasn't the priority and that's okay like be kind you know we all we all only have one life and we only have ourselves to sort of well and those we love to be held accountable for it and so whatever choices you make, like 
you make them the right ones for you. Yeah. I don't know if this is the right metaphor, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with it real quick, which is that knowing what kinds of boundaries you have in a work environment are kind of like the boundaries you have in relationships. They are all theoretical until you are in relationships. And then you know which boundaries are like, oh, that one really doesn't matter as much to me. Or like, what? Like when you're super angry or super sad, you're like, oh, a boundary has been crossed here. I didn't even know I had that boundary. I don't want that to happen again. So part of it is going to come from learning. Um, Part of it, I think, is influence. So to just sort of tidy up that point, as you go through work, you can begin to ask yourself, where are there boundaries that are important to me? And then you can practice holding those boundaries. And some workplaces are going to be better about respecting those boundaries than others. And sometimes different managers within the same workplace. So it, there's a lot of variability. So what are your boundaries? You'll, you'll get to know those as you go and then start practice holding those boundaries. Um, it takes practice because it's, at least it was for me, super scary. Know that it's a give and take. So part of why a company hires you is because you're a part of a team. And if the team has to execute a deliverable and there's a deadline, it may mean but that for a short period, there's a sprint. And that give and take is okay. It can't just be one-sided, all company, all you. Um, this is where the culture question comes in because you can get a proxy for what that's like before you even step foot in there through info interviews and through the interview process um, and stage of life. That's a big one. I have kids right now, so I don't want any job that's going to take me away from them in a significant way. Uh, I'm not applying for ED of nonprofit roles. That's not because I I know if I take that role on, my responsibility to the organization is going to be immense. You you can't say you want to be an ED and not go to fundraising events at 7 p.m. at night and want to be home for your kids. So don't create unnecessary tensions. Um. So I, yeah, it's sort of like a quick hodgepodge, a little list of things to consider. Mm-hmm. Thank you, both of you. Um, as we close, any final thoughts? Last piece of advice. This Feels might have so been big. what I said last time, but I stand by it if, if I'm <laughs> is be kind to yourself. It is a really hard thing. It is, it puts you in a vulnerable state where you are opening up yourself to strangers. And sometimes you're opening up yourself about things that you really care about, right? Like some of the reasons why we do what we do are very personal and some of it are not, Or, but even if it's not, it's like you're constantly, like based by definition, you're constantly being judged. And that's hard. That's really hard. And um, and the power dynamic, right? Like anybody, anybody from like the person you like that greets you at a door or somebody you're like trying to put on a smiling face and everything. And so that's that's really hard. So being kind to yourself and doing things that are gentle and loving around the search journey. Um, getting nose is really hard. We can all say, you know, there's all the stories from actors who are like, I got like 70 no's before I got my act, act, uh, Oscar winning role and stuff. Yeah. But like, they were probably in like on their couch eating ice cream, crying, like on, you know, rejection number 69 and probably almost didn't go for that 70, 70th. So like, it's hard. There's, it's hard. It's ugly. There's crying. There's, you know, it's, it's messy. Be kind to yourself. Like 
people may not be kind to you. So at least you mm-hmm. can be kind to yourself. Mm. I love that. I'll add to that real quick. And my piece of advice is twofold, which would be don't don't walk the, the path by yourself. Be in conversation with others. Sometimes you need friends to vent about what's going on at work to get perspective. Other times you want to be speaking to people within the domain. You want to speak to other, I don't know, product managers, et cetera, and begin to have a learning community. So don't walk the path alone, however that might be. And then the other part of that, I think is, and this is inspired by you, Eva, from the last conversation. Think of what you're doing, your career as this portfolio, like begin to capture and document, not for others. I'm not talking a resume or LinkedIn profile for yourself. What are you taking away from particular projects, roles? What did you learn? What did you do and accomplish that you're proud of? Where did you fall on your face? Capture those as well. Um, I wish I had done that. I honestly, I have, you know, so much experience. And for much of it, I only have these little bullet points mm-hmm. and these implicit lessons. And I wish I had been doing that for my whole life. So do it, try it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you to both of you. I think um, you've uh, you've given us plenty to think about and some really useful tips, um, regardless of where folks are at in their job search. Um, so thank you. Uh, this concludes uh, our uh, career conversations. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.